Welcome to Empathy Media, the podcast exploring empathy in action. What do you do when an army major arrives at your door, salutes and says, Sir, I have orders to kill you. What do you do when your village water supply fails and the government does nothing? It's 60 years since the man they call the Little Gandhi, Dr. Aryaratna, affectionately known as Ari, started the Sarvodhya movement in Sri Lanka, putting people in 10,000 villages on the front line of social change. It's based on principles of non-violence and what he calls Buddhist economics. When they met, Anuradha Vitachi started by asking him about the background to the movement he founded. The movement is called Sarvodhya. That's a word coined by Mahatma Gandhi. Because Gandhi did not believe in the kind of uh, welfare government. He believed in a welfare society. He believed that every human being should help other human beings for total awakening of all human beings. Therefore, well-being of all was his objective and not the well-being of the majority. So, Sarvodaya for us is an awakening of all. So, so to awaken all, our individual personalities have to awaken. For that purpose, we have to create psychological, social, physical situation. So when we call people to join us, to go to rural areas, so irrigation canals are broken. You tell the government, the government has no money, they say, to do it. So therefore, you are unemployed, you have no food. You all get together without doing it for a salary. You find out how many people are needed to repair this tank bond. Say, 200 people are needed. They have to work for 10 days. So, how can that uh, 2,000 man days be brought into this village? When they are linked to other villages and the Sarvodaya movement generally, they say, we have only 100 people. Can you send 100 hands to work? They all come, they all work, repair the tank, do the irrigation canals, help in the paddy fields, and there is an income coming. And so when we call people to join us, to go to rural areas or urban slums, and join us in working with people to build, uh, say, wells, roads, school buildings, community centers, houses, environmental projects like replanting. We tell them, while doing that, we are transforming ourselves. We think that we are helping those people, which is true. We are sharing our labor, our time, our skills, our knowledge, our material resources, even money with them. That is one thing. And they get benefited from that. But at the same time, we learn to be compassionate towards everybody. We learn the dignity of labor. We begin to get the joy of service so that our life is no longer self-centered. So we develop a kind of selflessness, self-sacrifice within ourselves, which are qualities which are fast disappearing in our societies. In this uh, society where you have a kind of uh, possessive individualism promoted all over the world, and to the world, world uh, 
this new market system, globalization, this is the first thing that gets promoted. So, by, uh, by human personality awakening, what we mean is giving opportunities to people who volunteer to go and work among people who are poor and powerless, who are in need, so that their personalities get awakened. So, we have a portfolio of activities including meditation, leadership training, training in skills. We are working today in 12,000 village communities in the country. When we started working, maybe we had only about 25,000 village communities. Today, with the new settlements, maybe they have 30,000. But we are working more or less with half the number of communities in our country. And this can apply to any country in the world. This can apply internationally. We have so many countries. We are here, a Sarvode support group in UK, Sarvode USA, Sarvode group in Japan, in Belgium, in Netherlands, in Germany. Like that, we have people who believe in this philosophy. What is the philosophy? We should work for the well-being of all. In other words, we should get rid of our divisions of caste, race, religion, class and so on. We are one human family, one world, that concept. Second, we need not try to build rich societies. Richness is not the same as happiness. But we cannot tolerate poor societies. Therefore, poverty should be eradicated. That does not mean that everybody is made to be rich. We want a no poverty, no affluent society. This is not being done by the World Bank and other national and international monetary institutions. They always work with Western interests. So, people have to uh, be shown ways and means of generating their own finances, which we are doing. Now, Sarvode has Sarvode development banks established in the village. We accept all the banking principles, but the village will retain the money and not allow it to go outside. For example, a couple of months ago, I was invited to open a bank in a very, very rural area. I went there and I saw a woman who did not look in any way as a rich woman or very refined sort of thing, just a village-level working woman. She came to me, greeted me and gave me the first deposit. I found 305,000 rupee notes. I mean, that is unbelievable. A person who receives about 60 rupees a day to bring 305,000 to deposit in their village bank, which is nothing but a small room. I asked her, how did you get this money? Did you sell a land? No, over a period of years, I saved, saved and saved. When I could save 100 rupees, I kept it aside, another 100. When I got 10 hundred rupee notes, 1000 rupee notes, like that, I, why didn't you deposit in a commercial bank? He said, it's not ours. It, here in our village, my own sisters, seven elected women in the village, they are the board members. We have elected them. 
and our manager is a woman. You people trained us. We trust our bank, so I deposit the money here. What did the critics say about Sarode? Most of the Sarode critics are people who have never seen what Sarode has done. So, from a distance, theoretically, they say non-violence. How can it work in this world? Mm? Why didn't Sarode do something for this Sinhala Tamil uh, conflict? Uh, Sarode existed for 40 years. Still, how can there war be there like that? So, they try to put responsibilities on us for what others did. Now, if you compare Sarode with governments or political parties, we have no legal authority, we have a moral authority, we have a vision, though we have no ideology. Ideologies always divide people, but a vision of well-being of all won't divide people. We don't have money the government has uh, or these political parties spend. We don't resort to wrong means, we believe that right ends can be achieved through right means. So, when you look at it like they try to compare us with other institutions and say, well, uh, in spite of you, this happened, so you are not effective. On the other hand, if Sarvode wasn't there today, most of the, I would say, independent critics believe that it would have been chaotic, the whole country. Well, I can give many, many examples, but uh, about an year ago, it comes to my mind, about an year ago, a Scandinavian uh, young person uh, came to us. She was working as a volunteer and she wanted to participate in uh, what we call uh, Shanti Sena, Peace Brigade Camp. Now, in that camp, there were a few Sinhalese, Tamils and Muslims. It's mostly a Muslim area, but there were Sinhalese, Tamils and Muslims. So, there have been clashes between Tamil and Muslim villages there. And sometimes, this Muslim, a, a Muslim boy whose family have been killed by some Tamil uh, terrorists. So, he came to this peace camp with the intention of killing in revenge some Tamil colleagues, Tamil participants. But when he participated in this peace brigade camp for seven days, he was confused by the second day. Third day, he was convinced that taking revenge is not the right way to act. By the sixth day, he made friends with almost all the Tamil people there. And on the seventh day, when they were parting, they had a what we call a final family gathering. We call it a family gathering, a meeting, where we consider the whole family world to be a family. So, among about 300 people, this boy got up and said that uh, I came with this intention to this camp because my parents, my younger people, I am the only one who escaped from this massacre. 
But after coming here, I realized that this is not the way to put an end to enmity. Hatred does not cease by hatred. Hatred can be stopped only by love. So I decided that if I can have a place called Vishwaniketan, a universal home for peace, where people from all nationalities, all nations, if they wish to come together, live in an environment of uh, complete freedom, where all the natural laws are operating, where community leaders from all over the world can come and spend time there and try to seriously and silently. So it's a place of silence, but we call noble silence. Hmm? Noble silence is even when you talk, you don't talk nonsense. Hmm? You talk with absolute mindfulness. So I'm happy such a place has been created now. No similar place in the country. Hmm? So that is because I very strongly feel that unless the consciousness of the human is touched, all the other advances in different fields will not be of much use. So we have to create a critical mass of kind of spiritual consciousness so that people will learn to live with non-violence and reject every instrument of killing. When this occurred in Yugoslavia, in Kosovo, the British Prime Minister or the American President should have had somebody to call and say, go with 5,000 people, convert them. If 5,000 non-violent peace soldiers marked, walked there, including Reverend uh, who went and brought the president. Yeah. Before all this occurred, mm -hmm. you know, if I am asked to bring 10,000 or 100,000 non-violent soldiers, I can bring. Do you think if Dalai Lama went there, anybody is going to come and shoot him down? I'm t talking on some people who are who have 100% non-violent people. If Nelson Mandela went Stop this. People getting divided into caste, race, religion, ethnic groups is all foolishness. Now my life was threatened for four years from 89 to 93. Uh, so I never, never for a moment, even when I was confronted with guns, I never uh, had any hatred or fear in me. You know, because I learned the art of compassion. I would say for any human being, if you cultivate two qualities, I won't talk of other things. One, the quality of looking at your breathing in and out. You can do it while driving, you can do it while cooking, you can do it while doing anything. Just live at this moment. 
because breathing in and out is one thing that happens from birth to death. So, if your mind is there, that means you are living at that moment. You get a fear, look at your breathing, overcome the fear. So, I, I would advise everybody to practice this is called anapanasati meditation. Awareness of breathing in and out, that is one. That helps an individual to be calm. Second is try to extend loving kindness to anybody you meet, man, woman, child, animal, plant. Just extend loving kindness to anything that has life. Even to the person who people who pointed guns at me, I had nothing but loving kindness for them and it maybe it affected them, that's why they spared me. So can you give an example of an actual incident where this happened? Now? Well, one day in nineteen ninety two, I don't know who gave the orders, but the entire government was trying to destroy the movement. They confiscated our printing machinery, our buildings, our lands and insulted me through the media, government control, all that was happening. Well, that is happening one day uh, in full uniform. Uh, I think he was a major, came and saluted me and took the gun and said, sir, I have orders to kill you. So, I was so composed. For one thing, I know that this life is impermanent and when you are under stresses and strains, at those times you re realize it more. So, I was in a state of mindfulness. So, I could not, I was not afraid. I had the same love to him like uh, my children. And I said, go ahead, but tell whoever who gave the order to you that I died without any kind of hatred and without any fear. When I started speaking, already the gun was back where it was, he said, how can I kill you, what wrong have you done and ran away. So, there are instances like this. So, when you live at this moment with awareness and with love in your heart, you just… What part does your playfulness, your humor play in all this. Could you say something more about this place of, of your, this lightness? Yeah. You know, humor, cheerfulness should be an integral part, I believe, of any human person. I have paid very high price for this. Once from a Scandinavian country, a team came to see Sarvo there. I was driving them, we had no drivers those days and I was relating stories uh, just to keep them happy. But when I go to the village, I am very in a way very serious with them and this is the situation and all that. But I crack jokes with the villagers also, but thousands and thousands of people everywhere they went, they saw them constructing roads, building tank barns, uh, houses like that. Then I heard nothing about them for about 15, no, about 20 years. They never even say thank you for your hospitality. Then in Uganda, when I went on a mission there, I met one of those people. 
I asked him, I, he, he recognized me, he said, he said, I'm ashamed to look at you. I said, why? We wrote a report saying that yours is the best we have seen in the world, the people's participatory development uh, movement. But the leader of our group, the lady who led the, was totally against helping you because she said the leader of the movement is a very light-hearted, he is not serious at all, very playful. I was shocked when he said that, you know. Uh, I don't like people being moody and serious. Even at very grave times, you should be able to laugh at yourself. After all, this life is a joke. Now, the other day, we had uh, people we admired, we loved, you were a part, very vibrant. There are no more there. Same thing happens to us. So why don't we, every moment, be happy? <laughs>